BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. This is a podcast from Minute Media. The lockout is here, but the Baseball Insiders rolls on, and we've got a big-time guest today. Russ Dorsey, Chicago Sun-Times, covers the Cubs. And that guy, Robert Murray, is here, too. The Baseball Insider starts right now. So, Bert, you reached out to your guy, my guy, too, by the way. I think I claimed Dorsey before you, but uh, this yeah, was you, you, you texted me yesterday. How do you feel about having Russ Dorsey? I'm like, I'm like, that, of course, that's the greatest thing that could happen to me on a Monday at 11 when we record this. Uh, so, hey, Russ, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Oh, Bert, I there are two guys to paddle podcast together and you guys being on it i'm just like of course i'm gonna be on at 11 a.m when i usually wake up so (laughs) only for you guys would i change my sleep schedule by 45 minutes and wake up early so i can be on your podcast wow what a guy a man of the people right there russ darcy i mean i just writer I love the successful youth of America just in their 20s, writing for the Sun-Times premier paper, covering the Cubs, a premier team, and, you know, just hanging out, sleep till 11, just living the dream. Hey, Russ, did you think the Cubs were going to sign Marcus Stroman? In all honesty, no. And I don't think that was a wrong perspective to have. I think when you we've talked to Jed since the season ended, he always used this phrase, spend intelligently, right? I know when fans hear that, they think not spending at all, which is a fair assessment based off what they've done the last couple of years. But I didn't think they'd be in on Stroman. I knew they'd have to improve their starting pitching incrementally this offseason, and they had the money to do that. I just didn't think that they'd be swimming in that into the pool. But Jed admitted the other day when we talked about him, after seeing the way the market had kind of moved, and Bert, I know you probably seen it as well. Like the way the market was moving in terms of starting pitching as we were getting closer to the CBA deadline, I think a lot of teams kind of had to reevaluate where they were. And if you didn't grab a chair, you weren't going to have a seat right when the CBA expired. So I think they saw the way the market was moving and they said, okay, if we we really want to improve, we can do it right now with this guy for a, I, I guess a contract that appears to be market value. I don't think they overpaid at all for Marcus Stroman yet. It's a decent amount of money, but I don't think they overpaid. And so, yeah, I think it's a, a decent deal for them to get better. I think they have a one, two, three in their rotation now with Hendricks, Miley, and Stroman. That's, it's pretty good. So, like, you mentioned Stroman. They also got Miley. Like, do you think they need to add another piece, or do you think they're good as is? You never can have enough starting pitching. And I do think they will likely go after another arm. 
I know they want to get more swing and miss in the rotation. They have guys like Steele and Alzali that do that. I don't know where they are in terms of those guys long-term in the rotation. I know they like both of those guys a lot, uh, makeup-wise and stuff-wise. But whether those guys are in the bullpen or in the rotation, I think that remains to be seen. I do think there are some guys still on the market that they could go after, um, but they won't be the big flashy names that might have been thrown out there before. Yeah, like, like, do you have any names in mind, like who they could end up targeting? I was I was really big on the Anthony DiScofani train because yeah. I thought that was a guy who was not a monster name, but had great stuff, great peripherals, um, and the velocity that they were looking for. I think the the interesting thing now is you look at their rotation; they have two left-handers after having none the majority of last season. Once, but after Steele got in there, now they have two, and some of the guys still on the market. Andy Duffy's out there. Um, but you you have a lot of those swing guys, like guys who've pitched in the rotation and in um, the bullpen. I don't know. Maybe – I don't know right off the top of my head in the free agent market, yeah. but I guess if you would like to look at the trade market, I still think there are probably some names out there that you go after. Chris Bassett's out there in, in Oakland, and I think that's a guy who – would make a lot of teams happy, not just the Cubs. It might not be um, cheap, but I think that's a guy you at least make the call on. I do think their focus probably shifts to their uh, the rest of their team now, position player-wise, shortstop-wise. They have a lot of guys that induce ground balls. Uh, Stroman, one of the best in baseball at that last year. So I think <laughs> finding a shortstop that can pick up the baseball is probably important. That seems important, yeah. So, I know, you know having Javi there forever, you know, you kind of forget, oh, yeah, we kind of need a shortstop. <laughs> so, okay, I, I want to follow up on the shortstop thing, but let me just, I just want one more analysis on Stroman because yeah. he's talking about Wrigley Field being sold out every night, which it isn't at this point in time. He's talking about, uh, I'm just I just don't under, know if he completely understands the Cubs organization that he's coming to. Like does he know who Todd Ricketts is who's not exactly in the Cubs organization but there's there's stuff around the team and and, and Marcus is a very progressive guy I asked Robert about this last week. So when I'm hearing his quotes I'm like do you know where you're where you're where you're ending up in cuz this isn't frenzied Wrigley Field right now. I mean the Cubs are begging people to buy you know to buy season tickets. I I think that's the normal historic Cubs player perspective that guys have. Guys truly do love playing at Wrigley Field. Guys love the city of Chicago, and why wouldn't you? Um, but, yeah, I think Marcus knows pretty well what he's getting into, and I think he said it the other night. Like, I think them grabbing me says this isn't a rebuild, and I know a lot of fans are concerned about that. And, hey, I, it, maybe it's a retool. Maybe they think they're – year and a half, two years away from competing as opposed to two to three years from that window being open. But um, no, I think Marcus knows what he's getting himself into. And I think Jed is put his money where his mouth is in terms of saying, hey, we're spending money. And he even admitted the other day, like, yeah, I understand fans being upset because until we spend money, you know, it appears like there's inactivity and like we're not doing anything. So, you know, they came in at the buzzer made three really shrewd, solid signings and got themselves in a better position where after the lockout is over, 
they're going to be in a position to make some moves to be a competitive team. What's your definition of competitive? That, you know, add to each their own, right? To me, competitive means we're competing for a division title, probably a wild card. That doesn't necessarily mean, oh, we're going to stay in games and win 74, 75 games. So I think that remains to be seen. If they find a nice shortstop in the market, whoever that may be, I think that helps them a lot towards that goal. But uh, I think Marcus understands the situation he's in. And we've already seen Marcus recruiting Mr. Carlos Correa over to Chicago. So I ask you bluntly, who is playing shortstop for the Cubs next year? If I had to pick somebody, I would honestly say Trevor Story from the sense of, I don't know if they go 350, 375, even 400, if this thing gets crazy with Correa, right? And shout out to him. He deserves it. It's good to be Carlos Correa right now. I think if you're looking at, all right, we want to improve our infield defense because we have a a pitching staff that induces a lot of ground balls. Trevor Story is one of the best shortstops in baseball, right? If you look at the defensive run save, outs above average, the last four to five years, Trevor Story's right in that one, two, three spot with Javi, Francisco Lindor. Like those guys, he's been great. Um, he also had some some pop and he had some speed. I think that's a guy that you can get for a reasonable amount that doesn't break you over this four to five year window and improves your team dramatically. So I would I think Trevor Story would be a really good addition for them. Uh, long term, only 28 years old right now. He fits into your plan, your window. So I like Trevor's story a lot. Not saying that I would hate Correa because I think that would be a, a wonderful addition for them. And that would basically win them the offseason after people didn't think they'd do anything. So, uh, yeah, the, if you got one of those, those two guys, great. But I think story is probably the guy I would lean towards them going after. Would you, would you have paid Javi? Another guy who's 28. 140, not over the top. That's, uh, I'll do the math for everybody. 23.33333. Fair deal. I mean, huge, volatile hobby. Could be great, might be awful. All on the table, but, you know, still in the prime of his career. I feel like we've had this conversation many a time. We, we uh, have, but like, but that number, now that we saw the number, yeah, like, I mean, I was, I always said, Hey, Bryant, let Javi go. When he gets older, that body's not going to hold up. But at 140 for a dude who can play short, elite, second, third, yeah. I, I that deal to me is digestible. I Yeah, I, I didn't – I thought 140 was very reasonable considering what the number was talked about for Javi, right, a year, yeah. year and a half, two years ago. Um <laughs> you got to look at him and be like the money was on the table. Right. Right. Yeah. And the fine folks uh, over at Wasserman with him, they said, Hey, that's uh, we're going to, we're going to go to the market and that's fair. And I would tell any player, Hey, if you feel like you can get more on the market, do that, go get yourself paid. I think for Javi, the situation was a combination of bad timing with COVID, which nobody can control and not necessarily having the, best season although he did tear it up with the Mets uh in the second half I it kind of was one of those situations where you left shrugging your shoulders like eh, I mean you kind of turned the Cubs deal down which in hindsight which is always 2020 looks to be a much better deal for you um 
But yeah, I didn't think 140 was that bad. Would I resign him? Personally, no. Only because I think his his offensive game right now, and he could change, but right now it's based all off bat speed, right? And so it could be great. It could be 280 with 40 bombs and 120 driven in. You're not worried about the walks at that point. I'm worried at 34, 35 when the bat speed slows down. That could get bad really fast, right? Instead of a guy with a 950 OPS, you can be looking at a guy slashing 215, 290, 500 with 200 plus strikeouts. So, like, I, but I think he ages defensively like Adrian Beltre. I think he'll be able to play short or third base fantastically until he's 45 years old. But I think what you're paying him for is the high upside offense. And I don't know where that is in five years. Do you have any idea roughly how much money he cost himself by not signing when he could have with the Cubs? I would say probably 20, 30 million. Okay. Right. From the numbers that you hear thrown around, it's not crazy. Right. Let's say they add another year on that deal. He got in Detroit. He probably gets the same money. Right. But uh, yeah, but who, who could have foreseen? Right. It's the thing with life. You never know. Uh, no, I got it. I got it. Nobody saw COVID coming. And I, I just I would love to know because I heard Bryant was I, I heard 225. They offered him. I don't know. I mean, we don't know where he's going to land, but I don't think it's going to be there. And what was the offer to Javi? What do they offer Rizzo? What's he going to get? I mean, if there is no COVID, maybe the Cubs were uh, getting huge value. I'm not sure, but it, it, it's just uh, it would be interesting to figure out what's, what's going on over there as far as uh, what those dudes cost themselves in dollars. They're not bringing anyone back, right? KB's not coming back. Rizzo's not coming back. Even if the market came back down to somewhere that, like, oh, my God, you can get KB for this. Like, that's not even on the table. Would you say that? I've always thought that, especially once Jed took over, I felt like the relationships were a lot easier it it especially it's at least from what i gained publicly and a little bit privately I, I think those guys appreciated the upfront nature of jed like there was nothing behind the scenes we're not telling anybody it was like hey man this is where we are if something happens i'll let you know and i think those guys appreciated that to me i think uh if kb's market came back to you you at least check in right uh Rizzo, I don't know what the fit is now. Maybe you can say with the DH, you bring him back. Frank, him and Frank Schwindel could have some type of timeshare at first base, but I don't love that idea either because I don't think Riz would love that. It just feels like that ship is kind of sailed. The KB one, if the market comes back to you at, let's say, $27, 28000000 a pop, at 30 years old, like, I don't think that's the worst deal out there for you. And maybe that helps expedite your rebuild even more so after adding starting pitching. And if those guys, the older rookies last year, Schwindel, Wisdom, those guys return to form, I think you have a, a team that can actually compete for something. Maybe they don't win 90 games, but maybe they win 82 games, which is an improvement off of what you did last season. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that Carm ended up asking you about Chris Bryant because that is something I've been working on behind the scenes. I was told by somebody who would know Chicago, 
I would not rule it out. And it was, it's been on my mind ever since. And like, I'm, I'm tracking that one. So Carm, you, uh, uh, that was a good, that was a good one. I like that. Uh, Thank you, Robert. I mean, it seems like he's going to Seattle, right? I mean, that was, you're, you're the, you, you two are, you're the, the, you're the defined insider, Robert Murray and Russ Dorsey, you know, everything that's goes on. I mean, if you guys had to bet, is it Seattle for Bryant or is that, was that just kind of noise before the lockout and everything's on the table once it's done? I know, and Robert probably heard that too. Like, I know they liked him at the deadline, yep. right? And I, I know that they were definitely checking in. Um, I think that would be a good deal for the Mariners. Like, I think that's a guy that you could hit your wagon to and be like, all right, here's our horse. We have the young guns, Kelnick, Seager's gone now. We can replace him with Brian at third base. Good for the room um, with that up-and-coming team you have in the AOS that's wide open right now, I think KB would be a good get for them. I know he loves Chicago. I know he loves Chicago. Um, and I know leaving Chicago was a lot for him and a guy that's been there since he was 22, 23 years old. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world to bring KB back. I think you bring KB back and you put him in your outfield – and say, hey, you're our full-time left fielder, I think you could do a lot worse than KB out in left field. And Patrick Wisdom showed that he's a fantastic third baseman. Uh, so I think you prove your defense and offense by bringing KB back. Just, but who knows? Like, I think what might happen is you have teams that did not spin before the CBA expired that are going to be looking to spin big after the CBA comes back. And maybe that market accelerates a little bit past your comfort level and the Cubs say, hey, KB, we love you. Go get your money. We're cool. Yeah, and that's actually – so I know the Mariners, they've liked KB for a while, as you said. But I also found out at the GM meetings that um, they were trying to put a recruiting pitch together for Chris Bryant. They were reaching out to people who knew him, trying to understand the player a little bit more to try to like convince him to come to Seattle. Uh, I don't know if they did the same thing with Trevor Story, but I think Story is more likely than Bryant. Um I would imagine both are pretty unlikely because I, I, I have a very hard time seeing either of those players going to Seattle because it's a pretty tough sell, especially after Seager left there and had a really bad relationship with Jerry Depoto. So I, I do think Chris Bryant going back to Chicago is like a realistic scenario. Um, and like the number you threw out 27, 28 million bucks makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very curious from your end, like there's no chance now that they trade Wilson Contreras after signing Yacht and Gomes, right? Because I know there was a lot of rumors about that, but like you don't think Contreras is going anywhere. No, I never thought that the signing of Yacht and Gomes meant that they were trading Wilson, right? Yeah. And I put out a quote from Wilson that day. The last day of the season we talked to him, he was basically like, hey, man, I got beat up this year. Our backup catchers got beat up this year. And if they want to help protect my, I, I want to be out there catching every night, but I understand I got to protect my body too. So if they want to give me more neck rest next year, I'm all for that. Those words came out of his mouth on the last day of the season. So I think it was kind of uh, the Twitter kind of creating a narrative there. Yeah. Does that mean, is that that give you insurance just in case you trade him? Sure. Like, I'm not saying that. But I think saying, up oh, they signed Yon Gomes by Wilson, I, I don't think that's a complete view, and I don't think that's looking at the big picture. That's a guy that missed a lot of games last year, and his offense suffered a lot. And if you think at his healthiest, he's a top three catcher offensively in baseball, you got to keep that guy healthy. 
So with the DH coming back in next year, you can have Jan Gomes behind the plate, who's one of the best game callers, best receivers in the game, have him in the lineup. You can have Wilson's bad in the lineup as the DH. Those guys can rotate. And I think your team is better today because you have Jan Gomes and Wilson than just Jan Gomes, right? Yeah, I think if you said, all right, well, we're going to trade Wilson now and we're as good of a team as we were without him, I think that'd be foolish. So, no, I don't think that necessarily means they're going to trade Wilson. I do think it would behoove them to start working on a, a contract extension at some point, uh, which hasn't happened yet. But, uh, no, I don't necessarily think this means the end for Wilson. Yeah, because they really, – oh, go ahead, Carm. No, you, Bird. Let's hear it. Wow, I love that, Carm. You're the man. But, <laughs> but, uh, but like, so they went into this offseason prioritizing a backup for Wilson, didn't they? Like, they wanted yeah. a more veteran established guy. They had nine backup catchers last year. Ouch. Right? So if, if, you're, if you're Jed and you're just like, man, we had nine backup catchers. Let's go find, a, like, a, a really quality – that would be on the top of the list. So that's why I didn't think the, the Jan Gomes thing – it wasn't a surprise to me. And, and I checked in that morning. It was like, yo, this is what we want to do. We want to improve our, our catching situation. They had nine backup catchers, you know, like that just makes sense. Well, wow. Contreras plays into it too. When he's sending out uh, airplane emojis and talking, whatever oh, he sure. said, he knows what he's doing. No. So, so he's, he's trying to up his pay me now or else you're going to hear more. I mean, what is he doing exactly? I don't understand what he's doing. I think that's more millennial social media. Uh, <laughs> is that a good word? When you say that. I don't think that was anything to be. I mean, my, my, my guy, Danny Parkins over the score, he says he speaks millennial. I do not speak millennial. Carm, Carm speaks middle age. So uh, do you speak millennial Russ? Cause I, I, I don't know what he's saying. I, uh, I'll ask it again. Like what, what do you, I speak. I think I speak pretty, pretty good millennial. I'm, I'm right. I'm at the end of millennial Gen Xers or Gen Z. That, that's the one, yeah. the kids after me. I call them the kids. Um, I don't <laughs> think it means, like, we're in this day and age where anything somebody says on social is this cryptic thing where now we have to report on it. Sometimes it's just people playing around right i think last year when wilson did the whole compete 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 thing on twitter everybody's like "Ooh, wilson wants out and it's just like no this is just a guy fooling around could there be something maybe but i just until i see wilson come out and say hey i don't want to be here anymore um i can't just go off of a tweet of airplane emojis yeah, I'm glad I have you guys here to decipher this because I speak old man and I have no idea what's going on when I see these kind of tweets. You're 16. Am You're I that old? <laughs> you, can't, you can't speak old man, Robert Murray. Come hey, I'm on. fluent in old man. That's what I am. You're the young gun. You're the young superstar. This is how I'm billing you. you I'm, I'm the vet here. I'm, 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 uh, who am I? I don't even know who I am. I, I'm, I'm, I'm Nelson Cruz. You're, you're, <laughs> You're uh Carm is, Carm is the veteran presence they bring in to keep us in line, yeah. right? To play the father figure. Yeah, he's a locker room leader, is what he is. Yeah. Shout out to Carm and a power hitter too. You're hitting 40 bombs a year, Carm. Let, let Carm me just is our David Ross at the end. Oh, that's, a, that's a great comp. 
And from my veteran's standpoint, just to the Cubs on Wilson Contreras, I'd like to hear both of your takes on this. Don't end up with prospect nine and prospect 30 from the Giants at the deadline for Contreras. Like you're, I don't, I, I think it makes sense for the Cubs to sign him, but yeah. I think teams will pay Wilson more than the Cubs are going to be willing to pay him. So that puts you in a position where he's turning you down. And then if things don't go great, you're not going to get a whole lot for that guy. Maybe you're not going to get a lot from now, but to, to me, like I, I'm looking at this the other way, Russ trade Wilson, cr- trade Hendricks. Don't sign Marcus Strobin and go to the bottom and, and, and come back up. Uh, but they're not doing it that way. I don't think they wanted to do it that way. Um, and they had been honest the entire time, even from the deadline that they weren't going to do it that way. This was going to be a more expedited thing. And I think if you look at teams around the game that have done it the last couple of years, the Red Sox after they won it in, uh, 18, I believe went through that two year down period. And then we're back in the postseason in two years. I, I think in the Wilson situation, the other reason Jan Gomes makes sense is their top catching prospect. Will, uh, Miguel Amaya had Tommy John recently, right? If you know, he's not coming back for at least a year. You, you, you can't count on that guy being somebody that comes up in the next year, year plus and makes an impact on the big league roster. So, um, for all those different reasons, the, the Jan Gomes thing makes more sense than not. Um, I don't, it would, it'd be hard for me right now saying, Hey, let's trade Wilson Contreras. Cause then my question is, okay, are you really that you believe in Jan Gomes that much as a full-time catcher at 35 years old? I, I don't. Yeah. And when all these rumors surfaced or well, these speculative fans with the Contreras trade, my immediate or my immediate thought was the giants for Contreras um, because they're entering the season without Buster Posey for the first time in like a decade. They have Joey Bart back there who is a very talented catcher, but they also have a lot of concerns with him. And like, he was available at the deadline. I had a lot of people tell me like the giants were willing to part with him, but there were some teams that had soured on him big time. And Contreras being a fit in San Francisco, um, he would end up being the number one catcher right away. They have Scott Harris there as a GM who knows Contreras from Chicago. Like I thought that fit made a lot of sense. So, like, I'm right there with you that the Cubs are not going to trade Contreras now. Like, it makes no sense. Uh, try to extend him. Say a deal does not happen. Then maybe look to trade him in the offseason next year or somewhere in that range. Giants make a whole lot of sense if they don't have a catcher in place already. But, um, yeah, Karma, I, I – you're reading my mind here. This is kind of a scary thing. I, I, I liked how you tied that together. And, but, and I, listen, I'm betting along with two of you. Wilson Contreras is going to be a Cub this year. And I actually, if I had to bet, I guess ultimately he'll get signed here. But I, 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 I think the Cubs are going to swallow hard on that one. I don't think they'll want to pay him what, what he's ultimately going to get. Hey, uh, do, do either of you, it doesn't matter for the record, do either of you have a Hall of Fame ballot? You both deserve one, damn it. But do either of you have one? I don't have one for another six years. Six years. Okay. Bert. I'm a ways out too. I don't, I don't know what I, or I don't know how long I have, but yeah, I'm a ways out. All right. Well here, this last year on the ballot for bonds last year on the ballot for Clemens. No one thinks that he's going to get there. Kurt Schilling has been a complete lunatic, but on the field, I think it's like borderline impossible to argue against him being in the hall. I'm just curious your, your, your hall of fame thoughts. If you had one, would you vote for any of Bonds, Clemens, and for the record, I would throw Sammy in there too. If those guys are going in, Sosa belongs. But uh, and and most people don't think that they're going to jump from sixty to seventy five percent in their last year on the ballot. 
I think it's hard to I think it's interesting in the same year that we have a rod and David Ortiz on the ballot. It's the last year for bonds and Clemens. I think perception wise, what a rod's done over the last five years to change his perception off the field since he last played, I think has been an incredible turnaround because I think he was one of those guys that people did not like at all. Um, when he left the game. And I think that he's, that's kind of softened a lot as he's done more TV, been involved in the game again. David Ortiz is one of the most beloved former players that we have in baseball right now. People love David Ortiz, one of the most clutch hitters, uh, regular season and postseason we've ever had. I think he does get in. Maybe it's not this year, but I think he at least gets 60 plus percent of the vote this year. I think, I don't know what kind of showing A-Rod has. He's probably the tougher case, but if I had to pick a guy, I say Poppy either gets 60% or gets in on this, this first go or in the next two years. Yeah. Like I would. So starting with Carm's guys that he mentioned, I would not vote for Kurt Schilling because he actually like told people not to vote for him, um, which that was kind of a bold strategy if you're asking me. So uh, he lost my vote there, but I, I would actually be a Barry Bonds voter. Um, I, I think he belongs in the hall. Um and I know there's going to be a lot of people who disagree with me, but there's also going to be people who agree with me. Um, I grew up like, so full disclosure, I grew up a Giants fan and I got to see the greatness of Bonds up close. And he was much, much or must watch TV. Um, he had taters that just at a level that I've never seen before and baseball has never seen before. And I think a player like that, even with all the scandals against him with steroids and, and whatnot, um, I think he deserves it. Um, that is a controversial take. That's probably my most, my hottest take on here. So Russ, you're, you're encouraging me there. Um, but I, I, I do, th- I would vote for bonds is what I would do. He was cheating Bert. He, the yeah, dude he deserves was- a baby. Okay. Can Go I, ahead. I'm going to make an argument for, uh, for bonds here too. I think part of the thing, one of the reasons I think he should get in now, and even if he doesn't get in now, uh, some veterans committee at some point, I think part of the punishment for using performance enhancing drugs is, yo, you were one of the best players we ever saw, and you will not get in the Hall of Fame when you were supposed to. You were supposed to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and you will have had to wait 10, 15, 20 years to get in the Hall of Fame. I think that's part of the punishment, right? Um, But, yeah, you eventually put that guy in. And I think for me, talking to Cody Decker about it, he he brought up a good point. There's no line of steroid users because I think you, you can make an argument that there's guys in the Hall of Fame already that used and were under the cloud of performance enhancing drugs. And if you don't make a clear line of demarcation at the 2003 testing when it was just like, hey, after this, if you test positive, you are not getting in the Hall of Fame. So guys like Manny Ramirez, Robinson Cano, those guys would not get in. But before 2003, Sammy, Bonds, Clemens, those guys would get in. Also, Bonds was a Hall of Famer in Pittsburgh, right? If he never played another game after Pittsburgh, Hall of Famer. No um, question. No so I, I think those that for that reason, I think he does get in. And then those guys do have to face the music at their induction, right? They do. We do have to hear them <laughs> try to uh, – talk themselves out of it in some ways. And maybe those guys have been reflective. 
maybe after 15, 20 years of embarrassment and living in shame, maybe you have a different perspective on it, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think at this point, part of the punishment of using performance enhancing drugs is you don't get to go in the Hall of Fame when you should have, right? You have to wait in this long line and you got to take your licks along the way. And then, okay, now 20 years later, you can go in. Yeah, because he basically like it's like waiting in line for a, like a restaurant or something. Like he ended up having like an hour and a half wait to get the 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 table, and right. I mean he he deserves it at this point. He, he waited long enough, so I'm I'm a believer that he's in. Plus, I mean, if if you're going down that road, and if I was gonna try to twist myself into agreeing with Russ, he he gets <laughs> which I'm which I'm doing because that's that you know you got to be able to play both sides here. He. He has had to live with people calling him a cheater and all the conversation that's been around him. So he has definitely paid a price outside of just the waiting price. So the way he's looked at is not going to be the way he was looked at in Pittsburgh, which was one of the greatest players to ever play the game, power, speed, defense, winning, carrying a Pirates franchise, to one of the most painful playoff losses, Sid Bream slide. And then the whole, I mean, that Pirates team was great. Um, and that conversation with Jim Leveland, which lives on YouTube forever, is amazing too. So, I mean, Barry was unbelievable. Uh, and an asshole, uh, at least a, a part of the time, but just a, an unbelievable player. Uh, hey, Russ, I want to get to Mini Minoso before we get, yeah. out, get out of here. And I, it was awesome seeing you on the... MLB Network looking as smooth as Russ Dorsey's ever looked, which Ooh. is saying something. I mean, it was tight. Uh, but, Bert, you wanted to ask about Clint Frazier, and uh, I saw Russ was tweeting about uh, the Cubs taking a flyer on Clint, which they have. Dude's got talent, but uh, a lot to unlock there from 186 and whatever else was going on in New York. Yeah, like he's probably, like, to me, Russ, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like he might have been the most underappreciated or maybe underrated signing of the offseason because he signed for basically, what was it, $1.5 million for $1 million in incentives. There's no risk there. Like, I'm, I'm curious, what, like, when did it happen? What were your thoughts on the deal? I don't know. I know. I don't, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jed reads this sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I, I wrote a year ago that the Cubs should go after both Stroman and Clint Frazier. Back then, Clint Fraser was coming off of a really good 2020 season where he improved his defense. Offensively, he showed what Cleveland saw in him when they drafted him high in the draft a couple years ago. This year, he battled vertigo uh, all season, did not hit the same. Defense was not good again. There's little risk in this signing, right? If, if he hit on Clint Fraser, you're a genius. If Clint Fraser doesn't perform, it's you don't lose a lot of sleep over it, right? You're in a position right now in, in your window where you can afford to take flyers on guys. You can afford to take on some calculated risks, guys who haven't hit their full potential and, and see what you have. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like Clint Fraser's tools and traits. I just think to have that guy on the market and to have them come, come in and compete for at bats in a year where you're going to have the DH. So increase that bats. I sure I'm sign me up. Yeah. Like I also, I want to go back to like the first thing you mentioned there that you predicted Stroman and Clint Frazier to the Cubs. What was the last year you said? Last so year, yeah. how long until Jed Hoyer names you assistant GM here? Listen, man, <laughs> I, I should send them the text be like, Hey man, sign me up. If, if they go, you have to break the bank for me. 
But <laughs> you do, I will be assistant GM of the Chicago Cubs. See, right, see, I'll get my tweet ready. Yeah, source <laughs> call me. Uh, all right, let's go back to Minnie. I, I saw you on MLB, as we just said, you know, talking yeah. about Minnie Minoso, who, if people don't know, uh, you know, M- Minnie passed away in 2015. He was the first African-American uh, baseball player in Chicago and he played with the White Sox. His, I saw one stat that I was reading today. His F war uh, from 51 to 61, second in baseball uh, behind Mickey Mantle. 52.3 in that 10-year period, ahead of Yogi, ahead of Ted Williams. Yet uh, somehow he wasn't in the Baseball's Hall of Fame, and he and he finally just got in. Um, and, and some people call him for, uh, on the Latin side, the Jackie Robinson um, of, of, of baseball. So, I mean, this is, this is a dude who deserved to be honored and was beloved in Chicago, but never really quite got his due, I think it's fair to say. is, is that, How do you look at it? No, I, I think it's a guy who on the field was one of the best players of his era, as you talked about. And, like You look at that list of the B-War from 1950 to 1959 and the guys around him, everybody in that list is in the Hall of Fame, right? When you're above Jackie Robinson for something, you're, you're doing something amazing. When you're above Ted Williams, you're doing something amazing. So obviously on the field, he was this amazing player, but off the field to be a representative before Roberto Clemente, right? Before a guy who we have this, and rightfully so, this reverence for in this sport, it was Mini Minoso that came in and represented for Afro-Latinos. He was the first Afro-Latino to play in the big leagues. And I think that's important to have this patriarch for guys who came after him for uh, El Duque and Jose Contreras uh, and Jose Abreu, like guys that came after him years and years down the line he was the patriarch for those guys. He's the guy that those guys looked up to even 50, 60 years later. And I think for pure importance in the game, I think he's a Hall of Famer, right? If you add in all the things he accomplished on the field, you could say borderline Hall of Famer anyway. But you add the fact that, you know, what he did to represent the game, what he did for the game in terms of helping bring other Latinos to the sport, I think that's a surefire Hall of Famer. So I'm happy that he got in. I think he deserves to get in. Um, and it's been a long time coming. And so that's it was a great day yesterday to see that he uh, is going to Cooperstown. I really can't stand how baseball – it's great that he got in. Couldn't put him in when he was alive. Couldn't right. put Ron Sano in when he was alive. I mean, come on, man. I, I get it that it's nice for the family. But the family's also pissed too. Like I, I heard you know, his, his son talking like – it would have been great if he was alive when he got in there, but I guess on some level it's writing a wrong. By the way, Russ, did you know that that or uh, Robert? Did you know that Russ speaks fluent Spanish? It's one of my uh, my favorite Russ Dorsey behind the scenes stats. Yeah, I'm right about that, am I not? Yeah, fluent, right? I've seen it up close. Like it's 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 wild. Like it, yeah, you're very good at it, Russ. I saw your interviews with Javi Baez. Like I tip my yeah. cap. If I was wearing a hat, I'd tip it right now. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, no, it's important. It's our job is to tell stories and to talk to people, and that doesn't just mean people that speak English. So, uh, yeah, I, I was fortunate that I started learning Spanish in the seventh grade and has kind of carried over. And even after forgetting a lot in college and not using it, you know, you relearn it. And uh, obviously, I can combine it with what I do and talking to players and it's it's it helps break down that barrier so uh yeah man i tell kids all the time like hey if you have not 
picked up language, start speaking Spanish because uh, it's going to help you a lot along the way. Did 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 Robert Murray speak Spanish to you when he when he left you at the GM meetings at the bar? Like, right. I, I get, Let's, like, yeah, oh like, boy, can we, can we talk about this. All right, so I, me, and our good friend Katie Wu were sitting at the bar at the GM meetings, having a good time. We were watching Bears Steelers on that lovely Monday night, and Bert goes, "Hey, I got to meet with some people, man. You super insidery." <laughs> and we're like, "Hey, man, go be Robert Murray." So he leaves. That one was cool. Like, we weren't upset about that one. Yeah, I, like, it was totally cool. That yeah. one was fine. He comes back. We're like, oh, Bird's back. So we're chilling, having a good time. Drinks are flowing. Then he goes, I'll be back, guys. And I'm like, all right, so we're going to go two for two on leaving us. Cool. Leaves, comes back. We're like, all right, are you, is this it? Or should we lock you in now? Or, or should we get ready for disappointment once again? And so he's like, no, I'm cool. I'm here. I'm here talking and so then at that point the lobby's kind of going lobby's going you got people walking around and Bert goes guys and I'm just like Robert leave just leave I don't even <laughs> want to see you walk up from the table I'm gonna turn my head three for three Robert Murray leaving us so anytime he breaks something now Katie or I will be like Oh, breaking news from Robert who once left us at the bar three times in a night. Yeah like they told me they're gonna it's, do uh, that and all of a sudden like the first two scoops I get Russ quote tweets the first one, then Katie does it too. I'm getting absolutely ratioed to death by people. Like it's just oh, it was brutal. Uh, yeah, I, I got ripped, but I uh, I'll, I'll spend a lifetime making it up to the both of you. I could already tell about that one. Well, we'll hold up a second here. When you left that night, did you get info that ended up in anything, or did you end up leaving for nothing? And you know, you you basically put your friendship on the line if they weren't great friends and, and appreciated you. Yeah. I'll tell you like, actually that night, like those three times that I left is when I found out the most information It's like when you go up and talk to people in suites or whatever, like that's when you end up finding stuff out. So like, I felt terrible for leaving Russ and Katie. Like, as I said, I'll, I'll apologize profusely for that one. Uh, but I ended up getting some good stuff and it actually led to some scoops. So um it was, it turned out to be a W, even though I was, I took the L with my friends. I knew he was up there being national insider, Robert Murray. I was more so making the joke for, for social. I knew he was up there doing important stuff, you know, breaking the news, getting the scoopage. So publicly shame privately. <laughs> I understand the job. Hey, I wouldn't want it any other way. I love the public heat. That's I, I thrive off of that Russ. I want to know what you found out that night. Can you can you can you let us know, or is that am I putting you in the same spot I just put Russ about ten minutes ago? Yeah, you'd be putting me in a, in a bad I spot put, there. I, yeah, I, bad I spot. don't want to give all my sources to Russ, even though I love him. This is just doggy dog world. Look at you all. Well, I by the way, I expect I expect both of you to um, be running Major League Baseball within. Let me let's put it in a twelve year fl- uh, flow here that you uh, supersede Passin Heyman. Uh, Boog, uh, Benetti, Len Casper. I'll just name people in the business here that uh, are ultra successful. I, I, Dorsey and Murray, top of the top of the food chain. And I, and I just, you, just hope that you will talk to me at that point. That's all I'm looking for for myself. If that's cool. Wait, who are you? Carm, <laughs> if you're, if I see the text that says Mark Carmen, I'm answering. That's my guy. Yeah, hey, Dude. you and me both. I'll answer it right away. I, I. Uh, 
a lot of fun, Russ, having you on for real. We appreciate it. Great to see you. Miss you. My guys, I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey Bert, you, Bert, you got anything to say to the people closing out the pod? Because we're going to say goodbye right now. Uh, thank you all for listening and get ready for We got all sorts of good guests coming up. But we do. You know, Russ, you're the man. We are going to. I appreciate you. Keep everybody entertained as best we can here during the lockout, because uh, which will be a little bit guest heavy as we're going to try to uh, get different people on, tell different stories. So looking forward to that. Russ Dorsey, you're the man. Thanks for listening to Baseball Insiders. Rate, review, tell us you love it. We love you back. We'll see you next time.